Episode 2, There's a Buffalo Behind You, 11-18-2011. So a few weeks ago, Google announced Ice Cream Sandwich at their Samsung event in uh, Asia. Um, Honeycomb has been out for at least a year and a half since early uh, January, since uh, the Zoom tablet came out. Um, but since then, there really hasn't been too many updates in the way of Android. But with Ice Cream Sandwich and Android 4.0, the ecosystem should be a lot better, and I believe the uh, Galaxy Nexus is coming up soon. So what do you think that's going to have in it? Um, from their demos, um, it appears to have um, some kind of facial recognition technology uh, that appeared to, to not work very well. Think it'll work better than a Kinect? Um, well, the problem with the Kinect For is... For all that, racial groups? The problem with the Kinect is that it just couldn't see certain people due to lighting conditions. Um, <laughs> but what some people have allegedly experimented with is using pictures to unlock the phone. Um, really? Yeah, so, uh, so I, nobody knows for sure if it's legitimate or if it's real. But apparently, somebody managed to set the um, to set the phone using their own face, but then also unlock it with just a picture of their face. Yeah, when we were given our Google laptops, um, it came with facial recognition, and it was so like to prevent people from using um, just a normal picture, they. They made, you had to sit in front of your chair, and you had to sit at a perfect angle, and there's so many pattern things. Like it was just, it took, it takes you five minutes to unlock, and it takes you two seconds to type in a password. On the uh, Galaxy Nexus, uh, the, one of the problems with with that particular feature is that um, the 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 length of time it takes to actually get the phone unlocked is a lot longer than just doing a swiping kind of pattern. Uh, Why is that? Um, well, if you imagine the processing speed of a phone compared to your old laptop, you know, the old laptop is still significantly faster in terms of the, the computations to do picture recognition compared to the phone. Um, and the, probably the algorithm is a lot different, and who knows what kind of camera resolution it's using to achieve that. Yeah, it, it's bound to be something really crappy. Yeah, so, I mean, it, it seems like that makes sense. And the other things those phones, the Galaxy Nexus offers, I believe, is... Um, I think it's called, like, Android Bump or Android... No, it's Android Beam. Bump is another app that does something similar, but Android Beam. So it's using NFC chips to um, essentially share information between two uh, phones. So what you do is, you like, if you and I have a Galaxy Nexus phone and we want to share two links, or if I want to share a link with you, we I just, you know, tap on the link and hit share, and I put my phone next to yours and it just sends, and it opens on yours. So how does it do that? It's using near-field technology chips... NFC. Hmm. Um, what happened to infrared? Uh, that doesn't work. Why? Uh, I don't know why. It just never caught on. I don't uh, know. Never having those little Pikachu, like the little Pikachu Tamagotchis? I, I think we actually got, I actually had one of those with uh, Pokemon Black, I think. I, th I think Pokemon Black or Pokemon some game came with a little infrared thing, like built into the game cartridge, and it could beam Pokemon to a little, like, shakable Pikachu Pokeball thing. Pokemon Black came out a year ago or two years ago. I don't remember. Uh, I'm talking about like when I was a kid, like t 11, 12 years ago. Um, they had these. I know, but it was also fairly recently. Yeah, I mean, um, infrared was really big back then. And other other things that Android 4.0 offers, um, an improved contact manager called People. 
Uh, I don't really know too much about it. The demos weren't particularly immersive or in-depth. Um, but the interesting about um, Android 4.0 now is that there's a lot of rumors and everybody suspects that the code will be opened very soon. And that actually makes a lot of sense considering that Google didn't want to open source the uh, Honeycomb code. Can I ask you a question? Please. Can I ask you a question while I'm... Well, actually, no, I'm just going to ask you a question. Really? Yes, I'm going to ask you a question. What is it? Can they forks? I do. They're um, over there. Yeah. In that um, but either way... If a company is going to call themselves open source, how long do they have until they have to release it? Well, so think about why they didn't release Honeycomb. Uh, think about all of the Android tablets that were using Android 2.1 as their OS because Google hadn't released a uh, tablet version of the, the operating system. And then when they did, it wasn't that great. It was okay, but not that great. And so they didn't want to lead into this dead-end kind of problem that a lot of the early Google tablets had. So uh, I think they tried to avoid that with Honeycomb and three point, the 3.1 and 3.2 series. But still, it should just... If it's open source, they should just release it with the... You know, it's not, it's not a typical kind of open source kind of thing. It's not like a GitHub repository that's just open. Mm. They actually have to push it to the public. It's open to them internally, of course, but all they have to do is flip a switch to make it public. But presumably they have a bunch of documentation they have to write, they have to clean up all the APIs, they have to make it publishable and ready to go for regular developer consumption. Mm. And uh, since, since everybody suspects that they're going to be releasing this uh, new source code batch of Android 4.0, uh, Amazon is releasing the Kindle Fire's source code and... As you probably know, the Kindle Fire is using Android as a base. It's actually using Android 2.3 as its base. Yeah, and so is the Nook, isn't it? Uh, I don't know for sure which version of Android the Nook uses, but it does use Android. Yeah. But the Nook's customization is much less than, uh, than the, the Kindle Fire's. The Kindle Fire has a completely different UI. Uh, it's so different, in fact, that you can't actually see any of the original UI that... Um, Android 2.3 offers, but you can see some of it still in the Nook, or at least the 2.2 variation. Okay. And, um, so I got another story about, um, the new Kindle Fire. So everybody knows that, um, like, Apple products are, like, um, over, not overpriced, but you, you buy the hardware. Well, um, for the new Kindle, uh, um, it's $203 to manufacture, and they sell it for 200 so every time they make, they sell another tablet, they take a little hit on production, because um, what they're trying to sell is their new line of apps mm -hmm. and um, like the the Kindle books and this little software and stuff. So how much do you think they should sell it for if they wanted to make any profit on the hardware? Um, to be honest, if they charge three hundred dollars for a tablet, wouldn't you just buy an iPad? Um, I would buy an iPad already, even yeah. if it's one ninety nine. But that's because the Kindle Fire, for me, doesn't offer the, the ecosystem I want. Um, and, and additionally, from what I've heard, the, the Kindle Fire does have, has pretty lackluster hardware for its, uh, you know, still 199 price tag for, you know, retail. Yeah, but still, it does everything the iPad does. I know what 
exactly does the iPad do that? That that's the that's the infamous question. What does the iPad do that the Kindle Fire doesn't? Well, what does the Fire Kindle do? Well, it reads books, plays movies, checks email a, and it's, tweet. It's a lot lighter. It's smaller. Do you know the battery life? I've I've never heard of the specs um, on from, that. From what I've been hearing from a bunch of reviews and reading additionally is that it's between six and eight hours. So a little less than the iPad. So it's a little bit less than the iPad. But but if you think about it and why that makes sense is that it is physically smaller, so the battery is a lot smaller. But wouldn't it also use less power though? Um it's running Android. <laughs> yeah. That would do it. Yeah, uh although uh you know, the, the Kindle Fire from what from what I've noticed though is that despite being uh, focused on content usage, um, it it seems strange that Amazon was always promoting the the extended battery life of Kindles, and then to say the the Kindle Fire has you know amazing and incredible battery life, but then it's just eight hours. You know that doesn't seem very consistent. So how do you think they can rec reconcile that kind of inconsistency in their product well, line? The, if you go back to when the Kindle was first released, they basically said e-ink is the way to go if you use a tablet you're like reading with a flashlight behind your eyes <laughs> tablets are stupid you're gonna burn your eyes out um, you'd be stupid if you ever wanted to buy a tablet and then what a year and a half later they're like hey new tablet yeah so, I, so there's yeah. no way there's so, no way to reconcile so there's no there's no way and, and maybe maybe Amazon realized this you know too far into the, the Kindle line to do much about that part of it but I think I think the I think the expectation is well, I know it says it's a Kindle, but it really is a tablet. I think that's what consumers would probably end up knowing, yeah. and, or at least thinking when they buy it. But I, I'm still a really big fan of my um, third-gen Kindle. Yeah, yeah, um, definitely. It is it is a fantastic device. Um, it, it truly is. From what I hear, people really like the um, Kindle Touch, the new Touch version of the Kindle. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't got my hands on that I, one I haven't either. How ironic, you haven't gotten your hands on it. <laughs> yeah. Touch. Uh, but I hear it's really nice. I, I still am not convinced that touching the screen to turn the page is that great, but maybe it is. I don't know. So on your HP Touch, is there any Kindle app for that? There is a Kindle app for this, in fact. Um, <laughs> ironically, uh, the Kindle Touch app, I mean Kindle Touch, the Kindle app for the touchpad is in beta, and I don't think I've ever seen that anywhere else. I'm pretty sure yeah. when I saw it on your iPad, it wasn't listed under beta. And when I saw it on my when I saw it on my iPad Touch, um, iPad Touch, Do iPod you have the text inverted. No, I just like my dark background. It's uh, a little okay. bit easier for me to read okay. when I'm you know sleeping. Contrast, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, things like that uh, are just strange little things. And that's another thing about the Kindle Fire. How can they sell the Kindle Fire for one ninety nine and then also provide? Kindle access essentially to everything on other platforms. What is the incentive of getting the Kindle Fire? It looks shiny. It's on fire. It's cool, and maybe, it's okay. It's okay, but maybe it's also because if somebody spends two hundred dollars on a device, it doesn't matter what it is, they spend two hundred dollars. So it's a thought that counts, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I who, would... who cares if it doesn't do anything that something else doesn't do? I mean, the HP tablet. Um, a hundred bucks, that's... A steal. Yeah, so how would you compare your HP tablet to what the Kindle Fire is at twice as much money? Well, technically, this HP t uh, t touchpad 
is supposed to be four ninety nine, the same price as the iPad. Now, oh, yeah. my preference um, in tablets is strange. I don't particularly like this one. Um, yeah. I mean, you can't really talk about Amazon taking a, a three dollar hit per device when HP's a three hundred dollar right. hit. Right, that's a very good contrast between the two. So, so I mean, HP obviously is having a bunch of issues <laughs> with their with our higher, uh, you know, business and uh, I don't know. So uh, yeah, I don't know either. I, I, that's I, another I, podcast in itself. Yeah, <laughs> HP so, business motivation. So, so let's uh, transition to. Uh, Something that's actually not failing. Oh, what's that? And that would be Siri. Siri. Um, so. Oh, that's failing. No, Siri's actually doing really great. Siri is the uh, is of course the um, essentially voice to text or text to voice uh, assistant in the iPhone 4s. And I say iPhone 4s, but allegedly somebody has cracked the protocol. Um, and this is coming from Epidium. But I don't know for sure how they did the, all of this. But theoretically, what they did is they um, they they tinkered with the requests of the packets between an iPhone 4S and a proxy server, and they ran into some hurdles in doing all of this you know stuff with the packets. And eventually, they found out that it was using a customized what would you call it header, I guess. Yeah, that's, well, I thought it was like just a little compression thing. Well, used, like the X speed. And it was a it was a customized header, and it was sending to the specific server on the Apple website, essentially, and or w at least within the Apple domain name. I mean, um, and it was this compressed, you know, junk of data, essentially. And it, of course, it was gzipped or zzipped or zlib zipped. I don't know. <laughs> it's it's just some kind of zip compression, and whatever it was. After extracting it all, they found that it's comprised of a plist and then some audio data. And so, presumably, the plist contains some parameters, probably the uh, location data or other things that the user entered, or previous, or previous uh, like uh, information IDs, so that mm -hmm. the server on the other end could look up, "Hey, uh, since you previously asked me about some place, maybe I should give you places nearby that place." So something yeah. like that. Yeah. So. They said it's theoretically... I've also read the same article you're referencing and said that it's theoretically possible to create an Android app for it. Now, what does Apple have to do to stop that, do you think? Well, the way they're stopping it right now, in fact, is that every um, header to the server requires a, uh, a unique ID. The unique ID isn't the ID of the iPhone, per se. It's a different unique ID. So one that's hidden from regular developers and everybody in general. It's a separate ID that identifies that particular iPhone 4S. So in order to get it on an Android phone, Siri would need to be told an iPhone 4S ID. So presumably you'd already need an iPhone 4S to make this happen. So you know how everybody always, like when a new game comes out, somebody buys the game and then it makes, yeah. Like, well, I think the problem with that is they could easily block it. Because every header yeah. has to be prefixed with it. So I think it's pretty safe to say they could block it pretty quick. So what do they do with that Apple customer? Like now he's he bought the phone. Well, I think that Apple customer would be pretty knowledgeable about what he did if he did this. So I think that Apple customer would not feel any remorse about doing it, nor would he feel offended by Apple kicking him out. Yeah, I can't like, argue with that. Yeah, I, I think that's pretty safe to say. All right. And our next story is about Google. So, um, 
when I when I I used to like when I host my website, um, I use JPEGs a lot, and then um, like I have slow internet, and then whenever I tried to view it, it just it took a while to load, and then um, I started using PNGs. And then you you know how uh, PNG compared to a yeah JPEG. it's it's significantly smaller but much but much much better quality absurd quality difference yeah but now Google has a has switched over to WebP um it's a supposedly between um about twenty five to thirty five percent smaller than a PNG you know what this reminds me of a lot um maybe a year and a half ago um the Google Chrome team um a like they, you know how Google Chrome always did their uh, updates, you know, all the time. Well, they they uh, couldn't stand sending out a new Chrome package every single time. So what they did is they did a comparison between the existing package you have on your computer and the one that's being updated on this from the server to your computer, and they made a diff essentially, and then they would just update the parts that changed. Um, and then the compression they used for that was changed at a very fundamental level because they knew the source code. So maybe. It's the same kind of thing with for these WebP images. Yeah, but I, I still can't believe. I mean, just thirty five percent smaller again on an already really small PNG. And, and another way to th another way to think about it, it's thirty five percent faster. Exactly. Um, this it'll all be. I don't know. Like, especially think about using it on your phone. Right. Um, because you know how obnoxious data plans are. Mm -hmm. Um, just when you when you charge crazy amounts of money per megabyte, everything counts. So do, you, so do you think WebP will catch on in other browsers? Other than Chrome, of course. Well, obviously Chrome is going to be a great influence, but they, they influenced other things. Such um, as? Like the .h62 or whatever. Or well, I don't know if I would say that Google did that. I'd say Apple did that. Well, they agreed then, saying, okay, we don't care about that anymore. Well, so Apple established .62, or H.62 yeah. as the standard video codec for HTML5, but then even that has fragmentation because there's WebM, which is an open source. There's Ogthior, I believe if that's what it's called. Nobody uses it. And if yeah, you, I've never heard of that if, one. Well, you should. You use Linux all the time, Mr. Open Source. Um, well, and then I believe there's another one, which would be H.264, and those three things comprise the three primary web HTML5 codecs for video. So, I mean, how can Google make this WebP, as opposed to WebM, how can they make this WebP format catch on? Force compliance? Like, if we'll take away all your stuff because we're Google okay, and we can do I, that? Okay, I, I, just, I just don't think that would happen. Uh, um, so what take are the your other, social security what, number? What other features are there on, on WebP? Well, I guess it's also like a GIF where you can um, have um, animation and stuff. Um I guess there's also a transparency mode and some other stuff. What I was reading about it is that there was a an old specification called, you know, everybody knows PNG, but there was another old, a specification alongside PNG called MNG. I, I don't yeah. really know what it stands for. Yeah, let me quick look it up. Um, but essentially what it did is it allowed you to uh, establish keyframes just like Flash and allowed you to alternate between them if you wanted to, essentially allowing for animation. Now, this never really caught on. I don't know if it was due to size concerns or complexity or library bloat. I, I really don't know. I, I don't think any browser supported it ever, so I'm not sure. 
It's, yeah. pro- it's probably going to be hard to find that because nobody. MPG one is a standard for lossy compression of video and audio. No, no, not not MPG. MPG. Ah. Oh crap. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Okay, so um, more recently though, there was a uh, standardization for ANPG or AP APNG. Uh, I'm not sure what it's called. Just nobody again uses it. It it was essentially a. Uh, I believe Mozilla and Firefox were really the leaders in this one, but they were attempting to make animated PNGs, and you can imagine how well that worked out. It didn't. Yeah. So how can how can WebP again work out then if if other attempts have not succeeded? Well, can't answer that. We'll see what happens in the next De- couple months. Definitely. So do you know if it's out in Chrome now or if it's just still being developed? Um, I think they switched. I think they're going to switch soon. Like within the month, but well, I, I mean, it's I, I not don't... switching per se. It's just adding support. Yeah. yeah. Um, to be honest, I don't know. Okay, um, that's fun. That's good. Just kind of heard it on a rumor site. <laughs> so, another Apple story. How ironic! Just, it always comes back to this, doesn't it? Well, Steve Jobs, I believe what it's almost a month ago now. Almost, almost exactly a month ago. I. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was uh, a month and it was three like days? T- October fifteenth. Uh, I think it was like October fourth, and then October fifth, he died. So it's just it's like a month and a week and a half or something. So Steve Jobs died, and one of the things we learned from his biography was that Steve Jobs, when he was designing the iPhone, um, he wanted to make he wanted to make carriers go away. Because carriers are, are the bane of everyone's life, right? They really are. Um, so what he wanted is he wanted to establish this Wi-Fi kind of, this Wi-Fi-like carrier-free uh, networking system for the iPhone. Uh, obviously, it didn't work out because we don't have that. Yeah. But but just imagine what that would be like being on being completely free to just roam on a network that was powered by Wi-Fi, or similar. Would you trust it? I wouldn't. Well, maybe there would be some kind of methodology to ensure some kind of security. But still, how can that be free? Then somebody's got to manage it, and then the, you have to pay the person to manage it. And potentially, this is one of the problems they faced when they're designing this. And I, I can't help but think they just couldn't implement it physically. I'm sure they could do it on paper, or probably inside a Mac store. Yeah, and then just yeah. Around there. Yeah, I, I think I think it's very interesting that Steve wanted to go down this route. That he knew that phone companies were going to be the problem with the iPhone, and not the iPhone itself. Yeah. I mean, they, back when they used to have just AT&T, everybody hated them for not having the service. And so I know they got Apple got a lot of heat from that, and then they allowed Verizon on. And now they just started letting more and more carriers carry their stuff. You know, before the iPhone came out, people probably would have said that AT&T was one of the best carriers of the four carriers that there were. AT&T was probably the best because they had the newest stuff. But they couldn't handle it. They could handle the traffic before the iPhone because there was no traffic. <laughs> yeah. So. But that, that doesn't count. No, but it, but if you think about it, the iPhone really is what broke AT&T into pieces, uh, one might say. AT&T was doing just fine before the iPhone came out. And then with the iPhone's heavy usage of data and phone, well, things kind of started failing then. Yeah. You know, it's only been, what, I think nine months Maybe February? I'm not sure. When the iPhone 4 for Verizon came out. Yeah. Um, I haven't really... I, I don't... That, that has been about that long. Yeah. So, I mean, 
it's only been nine months since it's been on two carriers, and just um, you know, less than a month ago, almost, has it been on three carriers. So this kind of it, it seems to be increasing at an exponential rate there. But of course, there's only one more carrier, so that doesn't matter. It's kind of capped there. But yeah, um, it seems strange that you know, despite all the work we're putting in towards getting 4G on our, on on these iPhones or making 3G not completely give out. You know that there are maybe there are other solutions, more of like a distributed kind of Wi-Fi network. Yeah, I mean, it would be very interesting to say the least. Um, I I don't have a a cell phone that I use to communicate often. Like I just use FaceTime on the iPad. Like mm-hmm. I I just commute because I'm never not within Wi-Fi. Yeah. And so I'm perfectly content with just using Google Voice or using uh, FaceTime or or any just um online thing like Skype um I know there's other ones out there I'm just trying to think of them yeah. but there's just you don't have to have a cell phone just to call somebody up mm-hmm. and they're all free and they're not like it's like what 10 cents they call an international call with Google yeah, Voice it's, it's something it's, pretty pretty fair and what if you did that on a landline or it would probably be a lot more expensive on that yeah so do you ever find that it's a problem with your FaceTime that the other party doesn't necessarily have an eye device? Uh, yeah, but there's other things like um, Google Skype. Voice, Skype. Okay. So um, you don't you don't think that's limiting in it anyway? Yeah, the only thing that I find limiting is sometimes with FaceTime, the other party doesn't know they're getting a message. Where yeah, because in like in Gmail, like things just start popping up. Like if you're working in Documents, oh, I just got to a bunch of stuff, um, like Sam is trying to send me a message during the podcast, or something's happening. Right, or I, I just noticed that a few emails popped up here. So yeah. it, it usually alerts you. So I guess that doesn't happen with FaceTime? Uh, well, in FaceTime, when I'm doing stuff... Oh, wow. Um, uh, this house is haunted. Um, I forget where we were at. Um, but yeah, on FaceTime, when I'm on the iPad... It will send me a notification like after the call is missed. Mm-hmm. Like um, it just like when you're trying to call me if I'm doing something like I'll, after I'm right. done. Yeah. It's just, um, Ryan Ramper said I try to contact you at this time. Yeah. I'm like, that was helpful. Yeah, definitely. And um, moving on. So now we're moving on to some new hardware. Um, AMD's new 16 core. Um, oh, what is it? Opteron chips um, have arrived. Um, apparently, they're about 30% faster than their previous 12-core uh, predecessors. And, um, yeah, they're supposed to be really fast. So do you know if these are primarily for servers, or are these... Oh, uh, these are definitely servers. Okay, so these this is not the uh, consumer-based No, the consumer-based was released a couple months ago. You know Bulldozer? Yes, Bulldozer. And yeah. uh, what's the other one, Bobcat, I believe? Bobcat was low, low power, but that was released a lot, lot longer ago. That was like almost five or six months before Bulldozer. Okay. They were going to originally release on time, but as you know, Bulldozer's been pushed back and back. Well, yeah. it's out now, but yeah. yeah, that did not come on time. So, so what would uh, somebody be using one of these Optron processors for? Well, from a variety of things. Um, it could be anything from just your little Apache server doing whatever. Or managing all your login and mail and okay. So do you think stuff. do you think the so the jump from twelve cores the old the predecessors the the jump from twelve cores to 
18 cores, I believe. No, 16 cores. 16, yeah. So 16. do you think that jump of, what, four cores really makes a significance different? Honestly, not really, because, I mean, what program's designed to... Use that many cores, or exactly. any cores in general. I mean, look at Firefox, for example. It's single-threaded, uh, so, I mean, that never happens. I mean, but I, I do know that, um, like, enterprise-level stuff is coded completely different than just average well, desktops. But on the other hand, enterprise stuff is usually point-of-sale, and typically, point-of-sale applications aren't going to be optimized for high-end machines. True. When I say enterprise, I'm not talking like, I'm talking like programs people might use at like Target, for example, to manage like inventories. That's point of sale. Um, so, I mean, these things on the back end, these things will never be on high-powered machines with 16 cores. That's absurd. You're lucky if you can even get one core. So. Yeah, but um, these chips are, um, will, will be available in different servers from uh, HP, um, Dell, um, Acer, and um, apparently they're going to be coming out in a few weeks. Um, so, um, but um, the new processor um, is also using like the same kind of um, backend stuff that uh, Bulldozer was using. Yeah. So, uh, it's got the same roots as Bulldozer, like the same um, theory behind it, but um, it's just supposed to be faster. Uh, it doesn't give a price though, which is kind of surprising me. I, I've been looking around, and I, I can't. Well, it almost makes sense. If they're not consumer-oriented, pr pricing will probably be a little bit obscure. Yeah, uh, but still, if you would expect when you're comparing to do stuff to yeah. Intel, mm -hmm. like when you compare AMD to Intel, what's the two things you look at? You, Speed and price. Yes, indeed. Um, that's kind of all that matters. I know AMD's a little slower on some things, but they're a lot cheaper. And a lot more energy efficient. So I guess there's three things. Speed, so, price, so, energy efficiency. So for those cores, um, do you think that AMD is really focused on that server market, or would they prefer to be in the consumer market? Um, Which market do you think they would want to be in? I think there's three markets. There's mobile, there's consumer, and then there's server. I definitely think um, that there's they're focusing on their mobile and like their network stuff. Like... They're really, really good with their low-end stuff. Like for for very little money, you can get a very good processor. And I know, like everybody likes having a big fancy processor with 16 cores in their computer. But what do you really need on a day-to-day -day basis? Exactly, I think that's very true. And so, I one of the things I think AMD is looking forward to in the future is focusing on their ARM technology branch, um, low-end or not low-end per se, but low-power uh, yeah. cores processors. And chipsets with integrated graphics, probably with ATI, because yeah. of course they are ATI. That, that does look really promising. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, that kind of thing makes a lot of sense. And um, as a side note, and kind of uh, in junction to a different topic, um, what I've been hearing is some rumors about um, how the MacBook Air was originally intended to have some AMD chips in it because. Oh, that's yeah. a big change for Apple. Well, well. So what they wanted though is the AMD chips uh, allowed. Um, the integrated graphics to be inside, of course, because they're ATI. Um, but it, uh -huh. because um, what 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 would happen is the uh, GPU would be significantly better um, at the loss of a small fraction small fraction of processing power for the regular CPU in those computers, and that uh -huh. makes sense for the MacBook Air because you don't typically do too much stuff that's intensive with you know the CPU. You tend to do more yeah. graphical intensive things. Yeah, well, with the new revision of the iPad 2, um, so they did double the uh, CPU power, 
But, but what they, was the big they, thing? But it was like 2.5 times on the uh, GPU. I thought it was more like 9. It was like... 7, maybe. I have to look this up, but... Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. the, the, uh, the, the, the big thing with it is that, that Apple potentially wanted uh, these AMD chips, but they couldn't... Either AMD couldn't produce them or Apple suddenly changed their mind uh, at the last minute. Yeah, Apple is known to do this. And maybe they wanted to keep the entire lineup consistent. So, that makes sense, too. Yeah. Um, just quick looking up the graphics power. Oh, this is a lovely site. It gives all the specs, but it gives question marks for the iPad, too. <laughs> uh, this was obviously made before um, that was released. So, let's just go on to the... Yeah, moving on. So, um, earlier this week... Um, I, I don't know how I stumbled onto the site, but um, it, it's called uh, Arrow FS, and it, so everybody knows what Dropbox is. What do you know? What do you know about Dropbox? Uh, Dropbox is the most amazing piece of software. I use it every day. Because um, at school, I'm always on different computers, and whenever I'm, I do a lot of um, like C programming, and that's that's like half a kilobyte for all my files and Dropbox I use the free two gigabytes so I mm -hmm. get two gigabytes for free that's more than I'll ever use well, by the way you might want to know about this but if you sign up to Dropbox or you link in your uh, student email address they'll give you an extra some number of gigabytes to bump you up to five wow can you do that with an existing account I think so because I think I did that and I got bumped up to five from three that's pretty good. Yeah, so you might want to try looking into that. If you have a student uh, email address like at .edu or something. I do. So that might be really something to look at. But this AeroFS thing I found, it, it's very similar to Dropbox in that it's about file syncing. But instead of syncing files to a unified server, so for instance, instead of taking four computers in my house and then syncing them all up to some server somewhere else, what happens is... AeroFS will use uh, a peer-to-peer -peer protocol to talk to all the computers on the LAN network just over TCP, and if it can't find those over TCP on the local LAN, it'll uh, c contact the uh, the mothership, essentially, AeroFS server, but instead of storing the files there, it will um, make a tunnel back into whatever LAN the uh, files are on in question. So instead of um, being limited in space, you provide all the space. Uh, so it, it's a lot more flexible than I think than Dropbox is. And it shows a lot of promise because all of it's encrypted the entire time instead of like Dropbox because there's a web interface. Yeah, but um, like when you use Dropbox, let's say the internet's down, but you still have three computers in your local area uh, network. What Dropbox does is it does send requests to other It does look uh, immediately around it to try to find other computers. Yeah. So Dropbox could be modified to be... It like could that. be, but um, this actually does that too. So if, if the AeroFS servers go down, it can still sync outside of the house because it will become the centralized um, mothership, essentially. So it, it's very flexible in how it works. Um, currently, however, it's a private beta. I have not managed to get in yet. Uh... I'd love to, though. I'm, I'm very looking forward to using the service. Um, again, the storage would be potentially unlimited by how much you can buy on your own. So if you have two, gigabyte, two terabytes of storage in a server or, you know, a computer at home, you can use those two terabytes and you can sync all your computers with that. Because, again, 
it's not going up to some server. It's your own storage. Yeah, that that would be nice. Um, I know you told me earlier about Box. Um, yeah, Box.net. Yeah. Um, I to be honest, I haven't used, used it that at as all. much. Um, Dropbox is just. It's it, so it's, easy. It is. It, it and, just and, uh, there. I've never had a problem with no, it. No, I don't know what interface AeroF uses. I hope it's very Dropbox-like. Yeah. But I don't know yet because again, it's in private beta and the features aren't all um, clear to me yet. But I, I, I think it has great potential. I'm very much looking forward to it. And yeah, and that brings us to our last story of the day. Um, this one's a real funny one. I was I read about earlier this week. Um, so this guy was having problems with his iPhone, and um, he was very drunk this night, and so he called 911 five times. Wow. And um, yep, uh, the police arrested him for not following directions and um, wasting police time, it seems. So, that's, uh, that's pretty bad. It, it really is. <laughs> I mean, the phone must have been working for him to call 911. So, do you know how he just got 911? Is it just ran completely random, or did it... I, I'm, I, I don't know. All the report says is he called it nine. He called 911 five times, and... Um, so, did he ask, like, Siri about it or something, or... Or, like, Siri, call 911, or... or is, hmm. was, was there some more malicious intent? I think there's a lot of drunk intent. Well, I mean... It wouldn't be too hard to mess with somebody like set your mother's phone number to nine one one or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be impossible to do that. Yeah, I can see you totally messing with your grandma that way. I mean, I, I don't know on the iPhone particularly what the emergency dialing numbers are like. Yeah, but I'm sure you can set up speed dial. Yeah, exactly. So that's yeah. what I'm saying. So it could be something like that. But yeah. that is that is a good good uh, yeah. good pick there. But um. Either way, this is Matthew Butchell signing off. And this is Ryan Rampersad. This podcast is currently unnamed, and currently we still have no network name. And we are very much looking for suggestions on these two things, a network name and a podcast name. And you can find me at RyanMR on Twitter.com. And you can find me at Matt underscore Petchel at Twitter.com. Thank you, and have a good one.